This podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation, or recommendation of any funds, services, or products, or to adopt any investment strategy. Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. Policymakers continue to argue that inflation will be transitory. But after a year of rising prices, inflation is still soaring in most parts of the world. In today's show, we talk to Schroeder's chief economist, Keith Wade, and look at what policymakers are doing to try to tame the inflation beast. We also take a trip back to the 1970s to see how destructive a force inflation can be and whether the lessons learned then are still relevant now. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. At the Federal Reserve, we are strongly committed to achieving the monetary policy goals that Congress has given us maximum employment and price stability. Today, in support of these goals, the FOMC raised its policy interest rate by one quarter percentage point. The economy is very strong. In mid-March, Jerome Powell, the current chairman of the US central bank, the Federal Reserve, or the Fed as it's known, did something no Fed chairman has done in three years. He raised interest rates. At the same time, he also put the country and the world on alert that there would be plenty more to come in 2022. If I've done the math right, which I think I did, the average Fed official, the median Fed official showing seven hikes for 2022, up to 1.88%. Further hikes forecast for 2022. The Fed isn't alone. So interest rates have risen once more here in the UK. For the third successive time, we've seen a jump up. So we're now at 0.75%. There's an increase from 0.5%. Around the same time, the Bank of England raised interest rates at three consecutive meetings, the first time it's done that in 18 years. And while the European Central Bank said it would not be rushed into a rate hike decision, it did not explicitly rule out the possibility of a rise at some point in 2022. So after nearly two decades of suppressing rates, Western policymakers are changing tack. So interest rates are beginning to rise now. We've seen the Bank of England increase rates. And of course, the US Federal Reserve uh, has just increased rates as well. That's Keith Wade, Schroeder's chief economist. It's the first time since the start of the pandemic that Western policymakers have raised interest rates. I think what we have to bear in mind here is that interest rates were cut to emergency low levels uh, when the pandemic hit. And of course, economic activity fell very, very sharply. Um, so combination of cutting interest rates and then a lot of fiscal support was pumped into the economy to keep uh, businesses afloat. To ensure that working Americans impacted by the virus can stay home without fear of financial hardship, I will soon be taking emergency action, which is unprecedented, 
to provide financial relief. Last week, the government promised to pay the wages of employed workers in what was a pretty unprecedented scheme, but they've been under pressure ever since to do something for the self-employed uh, in pretty insecure uh, environment uh, where a lot of work has dried up. The Federal Open Market Committee announced a one-half percentage point reduction in the target range for their federal funds rate. I just want to bring you some breaking news from the Bank of England. They've said that they're going to cut interest rates to 0.1%. In this environment, what matters is that monetary policy remains committed to its objective and doesn't resign itself to too low inflation. The financial support during the pandemic helped ward off mass unemployment and a potential economic collapse. You know, it really was an extraordinary situation uh, which required a, an extraordinary response. Now, we're coming out of that now, as we know, we've actually had quite a good year for growth in 2021. Both the UK and US grew at between sort of six or seven percent. While COVID remains a threat. China has announced its biggest citywide lockdown since the emergence of COVID-19. Shanghai is being locked down in two stages over nine days while authorities conduct thorough testing. The West is beginning to live with COVID. Lockdowns are easing, economies are reopening and demand for goods and services is strong as employment has stayed low. In the UK, for instance, unemployment is less than 4%. But there's been a sting in the tail. Things have begun to normalise to quite a high degree. And then on top of that, we've had this very sharp pickup in inflation. Even before the ushering in of 2022, higher inflation had become the hot potato issue driving global markets. The United States recently registered an annualised inflation rate of 7% and the Eurozone 5%. For the Chancellor, a Coke and a Twix on a day focused on the rising price of everything. The food on the shelves, the petrol in the pumps. Just some of the things making us all feel the squeeze. Biden placing uh, some of that blame uh, for rising gas prices on and inflation on Vladimir Putin. He's even referred to what we are paying at the pump as Putin's price hike. But here's the deal. The Bureau of Labor Statistics says that U.S. inflation increased 7.9 percent before this war began, setting a 40 year high. Inflation, which is the rising cost of living, has hit record highs in the U.S. and Europe. And it's set to get worse the longer Russia's invasion of Ukraine drags on and the longer Covid continues to bite in Asia, with supply chains remaining disrupted. That's putting pressure on policymakers to take action to deal with spiralling living costs. You know, central banks are charged with keeping inflation under control uh, and by that is usually meant inflation around 2%. Well, you know, as, as we've just seen in the UK, inflation in, in February was 6.2%. Um, and of course, inflation everywhere, uh, US, across the Eurozone, you know, is well above the 2% target. To control inflation, central banks have typically used interest rates as their weapon of choice. And the idea here is that you control the flow of credit in the economy. You alter the cost of credit by increasing interest rates or decreasing those rates. That has an immediate effect through the cost of borrowing that companies face. And of course, as households face, and as we all know, feeds through very quickly into mortgage rates, and that has an immediate impact onto the housing markets. Basically, it costs more to borrow money, so people think twice about taking a loan and making purchases, which cools demand. And I think this really came out of, you know, what was sort of described sometimes as the monetarist revolution uh, after the experience of the 1970s. 
it was realized that it was probably the best way to control inflation was to use interest rates to do that. The 1970s was a tumultuous time globally, both economically and geopolitically. And this administration today, here and now, declares unconditional war on poverty in America. Tonight I want to talk to you on a subject of deep concern to all Americans and to many people in all parts of the world, the war in Vietnam. And when the demand grows greater than the immediate supply, the circuits break. Attention all passengers, flight 307 is and when several circuits break at the same time, we have an energy crisis. The parallels between the 70s and now are uncanny. Wars were being fought. The world order was being challenged. Governments were spending huge amounts of money and an energy crisis was threatening economic stability. We had the oil shocks um, in, in the 1970s where we saw these very sharp increases in oil um, and that made a lot of um, uh, economic capacity obsolete. So it actually, I think, reduced the supply side capacity of the, the economy. Of course, it pushed up inflation very sharply as well. And in the 1970s, wages were rising too, partly due to labour bargaining power, which back then was significant. We saw inflation rising and we got what was called a, a bit of a wage price spiral, which governments didn't really know how to react to. US inflation rose from 2% in 1962 to 15% by 1979. High double digit inflation doesn't happen overnight. It was a slow motion disaster and it was the events of the 70s, the economic pain that was felt and policymakers failure to react that left an indelible scar. They basically didn't really react quickly enough. They tried to control prices and incomes directly through, you know, government diktat. But that, that wasn't really very effective. And interest rates didn't really move up quickly enough to bring inflation under control. Part of the reason policymakers didn't react was because raising interest rates was not a popular move politically. Instead, they hoped the mere fact that goods and services were getting more expensive would stop people spending. But it didn't happen. And then we had some extraordinary rates of inflation then. In the UK, the RPI actually touched 26.6% in August 1975. But at that time, you know, GDP was actually falling. It was down about 4%. So we were in recession and we didn't get those kind of normal uh, corrective mechanisms kicking in. So some of the old rules kind of broke down because people would say, well, look, you know, inflation's high, but unemployment's rising and growth is falling. So that, that will take care of inflation. But it, it didn't succeed in doing that. There was, there was a shift in what we call the Phillips curve. The Phillips curve illustrates that inflation and unemployment have an inverse relationship. So higher inflation is associated with lower unemployment and vice versa. It was a concept used to guide macroeconomic policy in the 20th century, but it was called into question by what happened in the 1970s. As prices rose, people did what economists and policymakers thought they would never do. They kept buying. What happens when inflation does pick up is that consumer behaviour can change. So people were actually hoarding goods. Um, you know, they were uh, buying goods that they felt could hedge themselves against inflation. So, so for example, as sort of a bit of anecdotal evidence here, I can remember, you know, quite a number of people would go out and buy pairs of new shoes um, because they realised that the price of, of those items was, was rising. They knew that they would eventually need them. So they would actually, you know, if you like, hold, hold high inventory or stock levels of, of shoes. Um, and that, of course, 
contributed to demand in the near term. Um, so you actually got into this sort of change of behaviour that was actually making things even worse. As the decade wore on, inflation ran riot, in part because people were uncertain of what the value of their money would be in the future. They were buying goods now to hedge against the uncertainty of the future. As we hurtled towards the end of the 1970s, ever more desperate policymakers were looking for more extreme ways to get out of the inflation spiral. The extreme measures they took and the devastating effect it had is what we'll look at in part two of the show. Get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website shorters.com forward slash investor download. By the end of the 1970s, high inflation had taken a suffocating grip on most major economies. Governments' attempt to cool the economies through income and price controls had failed. Something drastic had to be done to bring downward pressure on inflation and wages. The, the way of doing that, of course, was to revert to monetary policy and to stop using these artificial measures, which weren't really very effective. I mean, this coincided, you know, with the arrival of uh, Mrs. Thatcher and the adoption of monetarism. So interest rates rose very sharply in the UK. Paul Volcker took over at the Fed in the US, again, raised interest rates to about 18 percent. And that did effectively slow the economy very, very sharply. But if you had not taken the action to, to slow the economy down, then you know, inflation could have risen much, much more. And we have seen examples in economies, you know, where inflation has been 30 or 40 percent for quite a considerable period of time. Uh, so I think that would have been the danger. And I think you probably would have ended up in the same place where you would have had to say, no, we're going to have to put a stop to this. We have to raise interest rates very sharply. But the fallout was painful. As politicians of both government and opposition marched into the House of Lords to hear the Queen's speech, all were aware that Britain was in its worst economic crisis for more than 40 years and that the coming year was going to be another round of austerity and sacrifice. And tragically, what I'm trying to do is hold my workforce together. I feel it's important to hold a team of skilled people together as long as one can. But unless this recession um, comes to an end, Fairly soon, companies like mine have got to look to um, dismissing people, unfortunately. Wrexham, North Wales. Everyone is unemployed in this small coast. At number one, so, you know, it was successful, but it was very painful. Um, but in the process of, of that sort of shock tactic, it actually meant that the central banks gained a lot of credibility about controlling inflation. And that meant that when people were doing wage bargaining, bargaining, they didn't have to think, oh, my goodness, you know, inflation is going to be five or six percent. I need a five or six percent pay rise. They would think, well, actually, inflation is only going to be two or two and a half percent. I can set my pay demands in line with that. And that that was the sort of the confidence effect. It took a long time for that to come come through and build. I think it's worth adding that there were, you know, there were other things going on as well. Um, the opening up of the world economy, you know, the um, arrival or introduction of China into the world economy when it became a member of the World Trade Organization. You know, there were actually, to help the central banks, there were a lot of what we call very favorable tailwinds coming through as well. So those also helped to bring inflation down. Although I would say it took at least a decade before we started to see the real benefits of having low and consistently low inflation in terms of the trade-off 
between unemployment and inflation. That took some time to come through. By the late 80s, Western economies had begun to recover. Inflation had been crushed and that eventually fed the 90s boom. Malls across America are teeming with holiday shoppers, buying everything from purses to Pokemon. And lately, American consumers have been shopping with even more vigor than usual. I think everybody's in a good mood by the looks of the mall. It looks like it's full of people. As we approach the once dreaded date of Y2K, the U.S. economy continues its seemingly inexorable expansion. But that's a far cry from what we're experiencing in 2022. Growth is good, but slowing, and inflation is rife due to the reopening trade, supply chains still being squeezed by COVID and the war in Ukraine. So with inflation spiralling, what are the lessons we can learn from the 1970s and are they still relevant now? That's coming up in the final part of the show. The similarities between the 1970s and now are hard to ignore. You could say that we have oil shocks again. Um, you know, we are obviously seeing the oil price over $100 a barrel at the moment, and that is contributing uh, quite considerably to, to higher inflation. So that's, that's one similarity. Uh, wages are also picking up as well. Um, so we are seeing a little bit of it. You could call it, you know, maybe the early stages of a wage price spiral. So this is something that economists are very focused on at the moment because it looks like the Phillips curve is beginning to shift again. Remember, the Phillips curve illustrates inflation and unemployment have an inverse relationship. So higher inflation is associated with lower unemployment and vice versa. And so one of the concerns about whether or not we get another period of 1970s style inflation all revolves around this debate about the Phillips curve and whether the shifts that we're seeing are going to prove to be more permanent and that we are going to see actually wages rising more rapidly for longer. And that would mean that we probably have a bigger inflation problem than, than people realise at the moment. We've got a lot of shortages emerging in the economy. Uh, um, that's mainly because of the bottlenecks that have been created. But, you know, remember that spending in the economy has been very skewed um, as a result of lockdowns and things. People have spent much more on goods rather than services, and that's where the bottlenecks have emerged. So a few uh, uh, similarities coming through uh, in, in that respect. Um, you know, we, I, I would say so. There's a little bit of a sort of touch of the 1970s about what we're seeing at the moment. While there are similarities between now and the 1970s, policymakers like the Fed's Jerome Powell are insisting what happened then won't happen again. I graduated from college in 1975. I had a front row seat. Uh, that nothing like that. I, I, I don't expect anything like that to happen. What we're seeing now, we believe, is uh, inflation in particular categories of goods and services that are being directly affected by this unique historical event that none of us has lived through before called reopening the economy after after closing it. And there are some major differences between the 1970s and 2022. There are several. I mean, first of all, we have got a different institutional framework. And by that, I mean that the central banks are independent. Um, you know, they are charged with controlling inflation. Um, those mandates do vary from country to country, but essentially... You know, keeping inflation around 2% is still at the heart of what they do. Um, so, you know, the start of interest rate increases now, uh, although it's challenging in many ways, it is actually encouraging because it means that the central banks are on the case and they are going to bring inflation down. 
And that makes me feel confident that inflation expectations will stay stable and we're less likely to see a wage price spiral. So that's that's pretty important. Um, I would also say that, you know, Labour doesn't have the same bargaining power that it did in the 1970s. Uh, unionization is much less than it was then. The economy is different. The West is much more of a service sector economy now rather than the industrial and manufacturing sector economy it was 50 years ago. And unions have far less power, so you don't have big industry-wide pay agreements. Pay rises are handled more at a micro level. There are some similarities with the 1970s, but I still think there are some quite big differences, which make me think that inflation is unlikely to, to really get out of control. If that's the case, what's the most likely outcome for the global economy? I think, unfortunately, there, there probably is going to be quite a slowdown in economic activity. And really, you know, the, that sort of factors that I talked about, which helped to resolve the, the problems from the 1970s, I mean, in some senses, we have to go through a bit of a version of that, perhaps not as extreme, but we are probably going to have to see slower growth and some increase in unemployment now uh, over the next couple of years in order to, to, to tame inflation and bring inflation under control. So it does mean a period of slower growth. Inflation tends to be a little bit like a super tanker. You know, once it's set on a path, it takes quite a lot to turn it round. So, you know, we could see a combination here of inflation remaining quite high for the next six or even 12 months whilst the economy slows down and you create the, the slack that's needed to bring inflation down. And that's the typical kind of lags that we see in the system. So, you know, we, we've been saying that inflation will, will begin to come down, but you're probably not going to see, you know, the real sort of fall in inflation until later on this year or even into 2023. And in the meantime, growth will be slower. So, so you've got what economists call a stagflationary environment. I think that's probably the most likely consequence. Stagflation can combine the worst outcomes of a recession, such as sustained low or negative growth, with higher prices for staple goods. It leads to fewer jobs and lower wages, meaning less money for families to spend. Um, and I think there'll be a lot of talk about, oh, interest rates are not working. You know, look at the high level of inflation that we've still got and so on. But you have to remember that there are long lags in the system. And also monetary policy works with a long lag as well. So, you know, we've just started to raise interest rates. People won't have seen much difference at this stage, but once interest rates have been rising for a few months, they'll start to see mortgage rates going up, cost of credit going up, businesses will start to think about, well, you know, can we afford to do that new expansion? People will think, well, can I afford that, you know, more expensive house and so on. So you start to get a cut back in activity, but you know, the lags on monetary policy are quite long as well, you know, lasting about 12 months before we really see an impact. So. So we're going to go through a period, I think, of some sort of stagflation and then eventually inflation will begin to come under control. So what lessons, if any, can we learn from the 70s? Well, I think there's a great deal. I mean, that, that episode was seen as very formative and, uh, you know, I think it really highlighted the importance of um, making central banks independent, trying to take the control of inflation away from politicians. Uh, politicians, you know, have other objectives and, and understandably quite uh, reluctant to take the action that's necessary. Um, and I think, you know, that was, of course, 
one of the the lessons that we learned that ultimately you have to take your medicine and you have to accept that the economy will have to go through a period of weakness and unemployment will have to be higher in order to bring inflation down. And it's very difficult to avoid that. And measures that try to avoid it, such as price controls and wage controls and so on, you know, don't always prove to be effective. I think the main message from the 1970s is that you need to have a very credible institution in charge of controlling inflation that's independent from politics. And I think there has to be a, a bit of an acceptance that, you know, there will be a period of higher unemployment and pain to go through in order to get back to a more stable situation. Here's what else investors are talking about. London held on to the top spot in Schroeder's Global Cities Index for the second year running, with the UK capital scoring highly in a number of areas and being ranked first among its global peers for innovation. The Schroeder's Global Cities Index aims to identify and rank the best global cities using four metrics. Find out which other cities feature prominently in the index by reading Mark Hurley's article on schroders.com forward slash insights, where you can read, watch and listen to much, much more. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroder's Podcast at Schroder's.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. Cheers.